Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Wild Idaho Podcast, brought to you by the Idaho Conservation League. The Idaho Conservation League is Idaho's leading voice for conservation, protecting the air you breathe, the water you drink, and the land you love. This podcast is the place to find your community, get inspired to take action for the Idaho you love, and hear stories from real people who are making a difference to our amazing state of Idaho. Welcome to the Wild Idaho Podcast. I'm your host, Austin Hopkins, and I'm really glad you can be here to join us. On today's episode of the Wild Idaho Podcast, I sit down with Justin Hayes, our program director here at ICL. Justin has years of experience working with the regulatory community here in Idaho and nationwide. So I sat down and talked with him about everything we're seeing coming out of the EPA, targeting environmental regulations and rolling them back as much as possible. Uh, Just to forewarn you guys, it's a beautiful day here in Boise. So we did this interview in Justin's office with the window cracked. So there's a good chance you're going to hear some vehicle traffic going by. Uh, Apologize in advance, but hopefully you still enjoy the interview. Well, welcome, Justin, to the Wild Idaho podcast. Uh, Very exciting times. This is uh, hopefully not too bleak of an episode, but I wanted to talk to you, kind of just have a discussion on everything going on with the EPA right now, the the rollbacks we're seeing on a variety of regulations. Um, you know, it seems there's a big target on environmental stuff. Uh, but before we get into that, I wanted to touch on your history with ICL. You've been in this role for quite a while. You've done a lot of regulatory work. So why don't we start with how long have you been with ICL and what, what do you do? Thanks, Austin. Um, I've been with the Idaho Conservation League for 17 years. And for that time, I've been the program director. And as the program director, I work with all the conservation staff, coordinate their work, and make sure that it meshes up with our strategic plan. And then I work with people on um, larger strategy questions and developing some of the tactics that we're doing. And then sort of beyond that supervisory role that I play, I also do some of our work on water quality and air quality. um, And I also coordinate all of our litigation. Okay. So the water quality and air quality stuff, that's big. I mean, you rely on these regulations that whether it's the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, Safe Drinking Water Act, I mean, that's that's your tools of the trade, right? Yeah. A lot of the work that we do is synced up with state regulation and also federal regulation. And then sometimes we go beyond regulation and we do stuff like education or trying to find new data or you know do research and stuff like that but generally we're working within a regulatory framework when we're talking about our work to protect water quality and air quality in Idaho. Okay um, and then I think too I wasn't aware of this completely when I first started but you know can you just touch a little bit on the relationship between federal regulations, <clears throat> federal law and state regulations because I think a lot of people when, when they say when we talk about the Clean Water Act, they think you can open up the Clean Water Act and it says, you know, water shall be this clean, but it's not quite the case. Yeah, generally speaking, for both air quality and water quality, there are federal laws, Clean Water Act, Clean Air Act, that sort of create the framework for regulation. And that regulation generally requires that there be air quality standards or water quality standards and that there be a permitting scenario in place so that facilities that are making air pollution or creating water pollution are regulated and limited in how they can discharge those pollutants into the environment. Um, And then once you have that sort of federal framework, there's quite a bit of flexibility. 
many states have um, adopted parallel state programs that allow the states to actually implement the federal regulations. Um, Idaho is kind of a mixed bag in that regard. We have some of the parallel requirements around air. So a lot of the air permitting that we look at in Idaho are uh, you know, industrial facilities that are applying to the state of Idaho for air permits. But right now on water quality in Idaho, when we see like an industrial facility or a city sewage treatment plant applying for a clean water permit, they're applying to the federal government. So it's kind of a, a hodgepodge of federal rules and state rules but as a, as a sort of a fallback, the, the federal rules are the floor. And if states want to, they can build on that floor and have additional regulations or additional refinements to the regulation. But there are very few instances where state regulations can be less stringent than the federal ones that form the basis for the general regulatory framework in the country. Okay, cool. Thanks for that. And then, too, just, just so we cover kind of all of our bases here, I mean, these regulations are designed uh, to essentially protect our health, protect our environment. I mean, that's, um, you know, I just want to make sure our listeners know that it, it, you often hear the term burdensome regulations. And, you know, P, ICL staff, <coughs> state agencies, federal agencies, we don't sit in rooms to say, hey, how do we make this as burdensome as possible? We, we look at the science and we say, hey, what do humans need to protect their health, and, and what standards should we set? Um, so, yeah, that's really a good point. A lot of the, the, you know, we can call them regulations, or we can call them standards, or processes that you go through. Um, those are created through time in rulemakings or stakeholder groups where parties from all parts of the equation come together and talk about these things. And they decide on what data to use. They decide on what permits are required and how to apply for them and how to process the applications and stuff. So it's very rare that you know, a regulation on the book represents one interest group's interests. You know, usually, by the time you get a law crafted and then sort of the implementing regulations created around that law, it's, it's been a process that's been informed by all interested parties. And there is already compromise in those rules and regulations. They're not edicts from on high. They're created through public processes, often where people are commenting and bringing information to the table, and then that's reflected by the final products. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's, that's important to note. Um, I think it's, it's good that we cover that. So, so that was kind of a, a quick 101 on kind of environmental safeguards and regulations. Um, I want to transition a little bit, given your history... You know, we're, we're seeing a lot of headlines right now coming out of the EPA on all these things that they don't like and they're trying to roll back or get rid of or, or scale down. I mean, you name it, pick a synonym. How, how unique of a time are we in, in within the regulatory world? I mean, have, have you seen something like this before or is this pretty unprecedented? I feel like this is really an unprecedented precedented assault and rollback on environmental and human health regulations. Other changes administration have frequently um, looked at regulations that the prior administration put in place, but they frequently have only looked back several months. You know, they wanted to see if there was something that was jammed through at the last minute of a closing administration 
that maybe didn't get vetted fully and didn't go through that process that I talked about earlier where people are coming to the table and compromises are happening. And so it's, it is common for new administrations to reach back a little ways and tweak things. It is, in my experience, very uncommon, though, for administration to just start gutting things wholesale, things that have been settled and on the books for years and years. And I think this is, you know, really unfortunate uh, from an environmental and human health perspective because a lot of good work is sort of being chucked out right now. And I also think it, it really sets a dangerous precedent going forward. You know, politics has always been a bit of a pendulum swinging back and forth in this country, but the process by which federal and state agencies uh, create environmental regulations and standards and permitting schemes, that is a little bit more burdensome and a little bit slower. And that slowness, I think, protects it from the pendulum swing of politics. But this administration is reaching so far back and doing so broadly that um, it's hard to say that the next administration, whether Democrat or Republican, won't come in and do the same thing. We may be creating the new normal where uh, people just get to go back and basically undo things that, that they don't like for as far back as they can reach. Hmm. That's uh, it's scary to think about. Um, I mean, if, if, if the new normal are these extreme pendulum swings. No, and, you know, at the Idaho Conservation League, we work really closely with a whole diversity of partners, you know. Obviously, everyone expects us to be working with, you know, progressives and, and public health officials and other environmental groups. But we work really closely with a number of businesses, too. Um, some of the resource extractive industries like mining, uh, manufacturing, you know, we're pretty interested in having good relationships with them and understanding their concerns so that we can work with them to protect the environment. And we hear from members in those industries that what they really want is predictability. Mm, that's a good point. They don't mind stringent environmental controls and regulations and requirements on them as long as it is predictable and achievable. And so, you know, the Trump administration is, is going out and they are rolling back a number of long-standing regulations and agreements that have been, you know, if you will, on the books for a long time. And that actually creates tremendous uncertainty. And so some of the industry partners that we talk to are telling us that, that they're actually very nervous about what's going on right now because suddenly the pendulum is swinging very far back and they don't want to change their business practices and become more polluting now. I mean, this administration might let them do so, but if they do that, and then another administration comes in in two more years or six more years or whatever, and the pendulum swings back to the other side, suddenly that industry has to change everything it's doing and, and you know go back to more stringent permitting. So th they would really just like to have a consistent, predictable, achievable uh, pollution control regime that they operate under, and fast changes in either direction drive them nuts, just like they drive us nuts. Hmm. You know, this is a really good segue, I think, into one of the rollbacks that, that I wanted to cover, and that's the CAFE standards. And so for folks listening in, the CAFE stands for Corporate Average Fuel Economy. And essentially, it's automakers in the U.S., their cars and light-duty trucks. Um, there were these benchmarks on certain years where across their fleets, they had to achieve a certain fuel efficiency standard. And I think by 2025, um, it was supposed to be <coughs> 54 um, 
somewhere in the 50s. That was supposed to be the average. And we saw the, we saw the automakers kind of push this administration to, to loosen those standards. And the administration now is signal, signaling they just want to get rid of them. I mean, well, we don't really know. As of recording this, we don't really know what they're thinking. But we're seeing the automakers take almost the opposite stance, saying, whoa, 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 we needed a little bit of a break. And now you've, you know, gave us the entire, you know, you scaled down the entire program. Um, so I think it's interesting that people can see what you're talking about play out on the national scale with automakers and these cafe standards. Yeah, I think that is a really good example. And, you know, right now you're seeing automobile manufacturers um, suddenly seeing that if the federal standards are removed, they still are going to have to comply with the California standards. So they're, you know, suddenly they're going to have to create cars and trucks for separate markets in the United States. So if they want to get, you know, sell gas guzzling trucks in Idaho, they'll be able to, but they can't sell those gas guzzling trucks in California. So you end up with suddenly a divergence in product that probably makes no sense. You know, like trucks rolling off the assembly line in Alabama are going to be gas guzzlers on Monday and then efficient ones on Tuesdays. I mean, that's insane. They just want a predictable, achievable uh, regulatory framework to operate under. And when the automobile industry went into the Trump administration and said, hey, can you help relax these standards? I think what they were asking for, from what I've been able to read, is that they were asking for some of the deadlines to be extended because they were worried that they wouldn't be able to achieve them. Mm-hmm. It's not that they didn't think that they could ultimately be achieved. It's that they were worried about the time frames that they were operating under and they're looking for a little bit of breathing room. And the Trump administration appears to have, you know, thrown the baby out with the bathwater and are tossing out all of the enhanced uh, fuel efficiency standards. And that creates tremendous uncertainty, not only for companies that are doing business in the United States with you know, California and other states, but internationally. You know, a lot of European countries uh, through the EU, they have requirements that we need to be mindful of too as we create and try and sell products that are enticing to an international consumer. And if we just have gas-guzzling cars in the United States, that's shooting us in the foot for international competition. Yeah, no, that's a great point. It's interesting that you, you bring in the international lens there because we're an Idaho group. Most of the time, 90% of the time, it's maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but 90% of the time we're really focused on Idaho, um, Idaho-based issues. But every now and again, we weigh in on these national issues and, and international issues, it seems like, with this these cafe rollbacks, these fuel economy rollbacks, you know, one of the things I'm really concerned about is some of our most densely populated areas, the Treasure Valley, so Boise, Meridian, Nampa, Caldwell, um, where we're seeing not only a lot of existing traffic, but a lot of people moving in, moving farther and farther from where they work, meaning more vehicles mile traveled, more air pollution. It, you know, the less efficient vehicles mean we're going to have more air pollution. And that that doesn't just hurt my individual pocketbook you know it's not like i'm just shelling out more money for gas that can have pretty serious effects for a region and have you had you know that bringing in the clean air act here what does this mean if if we suddenly reach a point where we're not uh, compliant with the clean air act what does that mean for the entire region i I think it's it's pretty broadly understood by elected officials and policymakers that if the Treasure Valley becomes 
um, incapable of maintaining clean air, if we start violating the clean air standards, if we go into what's called clean air non-attainment status, uh, that means that there become increasingly uh, draconian restrictions on how certain federal programs operate in Idaho, especially federal funding for transportation. So, you know, Idaho relies on uh, federal investment to help shape our infrastructure here in, in Idaho, just like most states do. And if you're in a non-attainment area, there are limits on how you can use some of that funding for roadways and other things. So there are financial implications, but there are also some, some you know, Idaho-specific, uh, Treasure Valley-specific sort of planning considerations. You know, it takes a long time for cities in our community to create management plans on where they want to go in the future. So you see comprehensive plans at a county level or at a city level that envision where they want to shape growth and how they want to attract industry to our communities. And when you start building those plans and looking at what sort of industries you want to bring in, you need to know what the impacts are going to be on air quality. And a lot of the modeling that's been done, like, okay, how can we grow these communities? Uh, what are our transportation needs going to be? Um, you put in information about air pollution, and you put in information about how many miles per gallon vehicles are expected to get. And so for planning purposes, uh, communities in Idaho have been looking to the future and we've been thinking uh, cars are going to get, get a better gas mileage, they're going to be more efficient, and they're going to uh, pollute less. So all the increase in population that's coming here isn't going to result in a massive increase in air pollution because the people who move here will be driving cars that get better gas mileage. And so if you throw away the gas mileage uh, requirements at a federal level, suddenly all the predictions that we've had about what growth will look like in the Treasure Valley and how we can manage for it and still attract businesses, um, those might need to be rethought. And it might be the case, I think it is the case, that suddenly we're going to have to factor in much more pollution uh, as our population grows because the vehicles that we'll be buying in Idaho will be gas-guzzling vehicles. So again, you know, whether you're business, whether you're the environmental community, whether you're a local government, what you want is predictability mm -hmm. and you want um, certainty. And slow change allows you uh, to adjust in one direction or the other. Fast change is like a curveball and no one knows how that's going to affect anything and it throws everything up in the air. Hmm. You know, this is a big subject and we can talk about it. We could do multiple podcast episodes on it. So I... I um, don't want to get too hung up on it just now because there's another one, another rollback, or, or I guess fastball change. Maybe not a rollback is uh, rollback. Maybe not be the best way to describe it, but um, we're another uh, regulatory rollback or, or change we're seeing is this science transparency uh, rulemaking or proposed rule that uh, Administrator Pruitt has been talking about and. I think this might fall into that category of a fast change that people, it seems like across the board, are somewhat panicking because they don't really know how to, to deal with it. Um, essentially what this, on the surface, you, fir you first read this and you think, this sounds not that bad, you know, it seems pretty reasonable. And uh, what Administrator Pruitt is seeking is that all data to be included in the development of new regulations, new policy that data has to be transparent. So we have to, you know, everybody could go get on the internet and find the source of that data and look through the data themselves. 
the upon further digging, what you realize is that omits a lot of the public health data where patients or individuals who participate in that are covered under HIPAA. Um, that's the Health Privacy Act um, that, you know, that ensures that people, if they have a pre-existing condition, they won't be discriminated against because of it. And so now we're seeing this fastball change where regulations that have been in development for years, no one kind of knows what what's going to happen next. I mean, if suddenly that, that science that was relied to relied on to develop those regulations no longer meets the standards of what Administrator Pruitt is thinking, what does that mean for the process? And I'm, that's a long, lengthy, loaded question. Um, but I mean, with your experience, me being a relatively newcomer, this seems like a bad idea. Is my read right? And, and I don't know what, anything else that just really troubles you about this? I think that, you know, in Idaho and across the nation, environmental regulators have been very cognizant of the need to have uh, regulations and standard based on the best available science. And in sort of the Western scientific paradigm, you usually ensure that something is, is high quality by you know, going through transparent processes for collecting the information, for analyzing the information. And then we use a peer review process in sort of the modern scientific era where uh, conclusions and studies are reviewed by other experts in the field. And that's kind of like the good housekeeping seal of approval, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the layperson may not be able to to judge something as, as scientifically credible or not, but hopefully other scientists and experts can. And so historically, the EPA has really relied heavily on, you know, peer review. And I think that this new wrinkle that, that the Prudent Administration is, is going to throw in is they're judging things on transparency, not necessarily on peer review. And so I have a lot of questions about how this could affect Idaho. One of the biggest issues that Idaho has been working with through on the environmental front for a number of years is trying to uh, ensure that uh, pollutants that are, that are harmful to human health, that are sort of toxic to human health in water um, are accounted for properly and that standards to protect human health are created. And if people are eating fish that have been exposed to uh, toxic water pollution, sometimes that pollution is accumulating in the fish tissue and when you eat that fish, you're, you're taking a dose of poison, frankly. And so setting the water quality standards, you know, how much of this pollutant you can put into the river, it's actually really important to understand how many fish out of that river people are eating. Because the you know, direct consumption of water or the direct consumption of fish is how people are harmed by pollution in rivers. And so the state of Idaho and the EPA and a number of the Native American tribes in our state for several years undertook pretty rigorous uh, surveying of the general public and tribal members to try and figure out, you know, how much fish do people eat? And the studies by and large are pretty good. They're arguing about how to interpret the data, but they were done in a way that felt fairly transparent to those of us who were participating in them or who at least were observing from the sidelines as they were being conducted. And there is some pretty legitimate fear that all of those years of study may not make the grade under a new uh, EPA paradigm around transparency. And so it might be 
that the state of Idaho is proposing water quality standards um, using data that now in hindsight might be judged in this new paradigm to not be sufficient. And that could set uh, environmental protection and human health protection in Idaho back a number of years. And so, I think that would really run counter to how the state is imagining that, that, that it's moving forward on these issues. So, I mean, very similar to the CAFE standards where you have these years of planning, years of meetings, years of development, and then suddenly this fastball comes in and, and all that is for nothing. I mean, not only is that you know, detrimental to the final product, we're not getting these protective standards out there, but that's a lot of wasted time and money. I mean, people are paying taxes to make these studies and, and make sure they're promulgated appropriately in a timely manner. Um, you know, this is, we're, we're kind of wrapping up here, and this is the last point I guess I just want to make is, you've talked a lot about the process. Things have to go through a process. These processes are spelled out in these bedrock laws, and it just doesn't seem, everything seems rushed right now. I mean, it seems like they're just squeezing in as many rollbacks as they can. They're not well thought out. They're not well supported. Oftentimes, they're... You know, they've missed major portions of the, the process. What does that mean in terms of, you know, how we do our work? Is the first thing we do go after the process or do we go after the, the limit or, or, or what is what is failing to follow the process mean? So, you know, our, our reliance on sort of process, if you will isn't because we just love process so much, it's slow and burdensome and isn't that awesome. Uh, process ensures that everyone's interests are accounted for and that everyone is treated fairly. Whether that is someone who wants to uh, create a more stringent water quality standard or an industry that wants a permit that authorized them to discharge a pollutant into, into a local river. Um, it's very important that uh, their rights on both sides um, be protected and insured and that everyone be able to have a say in these matters. In the end, that doesn't necessarily mean that every regulation has to be some sort of delicately you know, comprised compromise. There are right answers and there are wrong answers. Um, but when you rush through things too quickly, you make mistakes. Um, it might be something as simple as the wrong words. It might be the wrong numbers. You might make a math error. And those have real-world implications for the regulated community. So if people change standards too quickly or you know, eliminate requirements, um, and then they recognize two or three years later, oh, that didn't work so well, you know, we've created a lot of uncertainty in the industry and amongst uh, human health advocates and the environmental advocates. Um, it is better to go thoughtfully forward and not zigzag back and forth wildly. And I really feel like this administration... Um, I'm not really sure they know exactly what they're doing um, other than kind of riding, riding the rhetoric of some campaign promises that were thrown out without maybe being very informed by people who are involved uh, from industry, frankly. Mm. So again, getting back to the CAFE standards and you know, fuel efficiency, I think that's an excellent example of the administration thinking it knows best and then completely freelancing something and quite frankly, screwing it up pretty badly. And so I think we're gonna see a lot of examples like this. You know, the regulations that are being uh, withdrawn or watered down right now 
Some of these changes are going to come back to haunt the very people that the Trump administration thinks that they're helping. Um, and I don't mean to say that in some sort of ominous, threatening way, but, but really bad work is being done, and it's being done really poorly. And so the things that are being rolled back now um, are going to be redressed in the future, either because a different administration is going to come in with different opinions or because people are just going to call for these things to be reinstated because they were the right thing in the first place. Hmm. Yeah, really great points. Um, and, and, you know, that last thing I have for our listeners here, you know, Justin really spelled out kind of some of what we're worried about, not only with the process, but kind of the final products and how they wouldn't, those wouldn't be protective of human health and the environment. The thing is, we can't do this alone, and we need your help. And the way you can help is by going to idahoconservation.org and going to our Take Action page. All of these rules and regulations and rollbacks that we're talking about are open for public comment. And that's your chance, the listener, to, to weigh in and, and let people know, you know, you want to see them follow the process. You want to see the EPA use the best available science. And you want to see a final product that protects your health, the health of your family and friends, um, the health of everyone in our nation, our environment, the fish, uh, wildlife, um, you name it. And so, again, we have, we have an action up for the CAFE standards and the science transparency. I encourage you all to check them out and, uh, and weigh in and let the EPA know, EPA know what you think. But with that, Justin, I know you're a busy man. Thank you so much for walking us through that. Really appreciate not only all the work you've done for ICL over the years, but the 30 minutes you've dedicated to the Wild Idaho podcast. So thanks for being here. Thanks, Hoss. Yeah, and uh, last, last, last thing uh, to all of our members, thank you so much. You make this podcast possible. If you're not a member, check us out. Again, idahoconservation.org. Click on that little Become a Member link. Uh, your help helps keep the Wild Idaho podcast going. So thank you all so much, and we'll see you guys next time.